turn to Acts chapter 4 with me. As we look at verses 23 through 31, you can also find the words in your bulletin. And that you would please follow along. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 4. And being let go, they went on, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Please pray with me. O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we not so much, Lord, pray for our comfort any longer, but perseverance, boldness, and endurance that your word may go forth even as we carry our crosses. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jamie, can you hear me back there okay? Yeah. And I can hear you. <laughs> That's great. Now, in the past uh, weeks, a few weeks ago, we reflected on the prayers of the church. And I put it that way because we were talking about really observing that the prayers of the church have continued for thousands of years now. We have just joined the choir, so to speak. We're praying the same thing that has been prayed from the beginning. Now, when we looked at the community in Acts, there were certain things that were highlighted. We learned that the church was steadfastly devoted to prayer. And at certain seasons of life, what that would mean is that you would pray nonstop. Have you ever been in a season like that? Where there's nothing to do but to pray. You usually don't eat very much. You really don't get off your knees very much. We just pray. And that can mean, that can be what it means for us to have a, a steadfast devotion to prayer. But it can also mean, as we're in more of an ordinary season, that we are steadfastly devoted to the same things all the time. From age to age, from day to day, we have the same longings. Well, that's the first thing that we learned from the scriptures and acts. 
But there was another thing also mentioned about prayer, and that is that our prayers should be shaped by the scriptures themselves, and especially the Psalms. In fact, if you remember, we skipped to the passage we're at this morning, earlier in the sermon series, we skipped to see how does the early church pray, and perhaps to your surprise, we saw that they prayed in accordance with the scriptures. There was actually a form of prayer. Here we see that it is Psalm 2, <clears throat> Psalm 2, and they use that psalm to understand themselves, to understand the nature of the kingdom, to understand the future of the kingdom. And we are to do the same. Psalm 2 rings throughout the ages and down the halls of time. It is our psalm as much as it was theirs. And therefore the church is unified in steadfast devotion, longing for the kingdom to come, the church is unified in having their prayers formed by scriptures, and this will happen in every generation till the Lord come. And then it will just continue. This morning, I want us to see another observation on what it means for us to be a church that prays. And that is this. We must realize that our prayers are a plea to God in his court that he would rise and that he would act you can see this by comparing verses 23 and 24 of our passage take a look at that with me and just keep in mind the sermon from two weeks ago where Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin another court and so we'll take a look at 23 and being let go they went on their way, or they went, I'm sorry, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, and then you see what they said to him. What's going on here is a contrast and a comparison. The chief priests and the elders had formed a court. They consolidated their power and as Psalm 2 says, they took their stand against the Lord and against his Christ, forbidding them to preach in the name of Jesus. What these early disciples are doing in prayer is saying, okay, we hear what your court is saying. We have decided we will go to a higher court and appeal what you have said. What these early what these early disciples are doing that are going to a higher court. The lower court forbade them to preach. The disciples appeal not to the Sanhedrin, no longer to Pontius Pilate, not to Herod, to no governor, but to the higher court of heaven. And uh, brothers and sisters, this is the way the church has always prayed because the courts of earth can become severely corrupt the Christian turns his eyes to heaven, corporately, to another court. And that is what we especially see in the book of Psalms, which is why they're so excellent for forming our prayers. The psalmist cries out in the morning, he cries at noon, and he cries at night to the courts and the council of heaven. He lays his case and plea and says, please hear me. 
There are even psalms that talk about him showing up early before the judge is even on his throne, waiting for him to become settled, and he immediately brings his word. I would encourage you on your own time, for example, to take a look at Psalm 7. Here it is in the form of music for uh, our own rhyming year in English. Here's part of it. Hear the court. Come back to rule over them from on high. The Lord will judge as the nations draw nigh. My cause or plea is right. Lord, O oh, vindicate me. Judge me as you my integrity see. You see how he's created a situation where there is a defendant and there are those who are to be prosecuted. There's a court case before us. Oh, let the evil of wicked men cease and all the righteous established in peace two sides in the court case. God who is righteous examines and he finds all of the depths of men's hearts and their minds. The ultimate judge or more simply put, by Christ himself, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And he's fleeing there to that court where the decrees are made and then executed from that sacred space. So whether we are shaped by the Psalms, or we are shaped by the Lord's Prayer, we as the church appeal to a higher court to overturn and stop when rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, and God in his providence rises and hears our prayers, and it is how the church and the gospel message continue from generation from generation. His word will go out, and it cannot be stopped. It is like a running lion, and nothing can get in its way. Have you seen any groups gather together lately who are against the kingdom of Jesus Christ? I'm not going to mention any names because I'm on Facebook. <laughs> Looking globally, not just here locally, we think of groups lately that have risen up that perhaps in a global estimation are nothing compared to what some towns or villages are facing. Have courts gathered in council against Christ's people? Do men and women of power take counsel to confuse, to oppress, and to pervert justice? The answer, of course, is yes. And I wish we had more of an awareness of all of the places in the world and where this is happening. The prayers of the church in every nation should be a plea to the higher court and the counsel of God. Our prayer should call God to act in justice, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, because as we are taught here in this Acts passage, prayer is a plea to God in his court. Now I say that, and you as red-blooded Americans are prone to a misunderstanding of what this will look like. 
And I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I don't think it takes a prophet to know that we're moving into a new era of what it means to be a Christian. It is not new in that it has never showed up on the face of the earth before. You can see it all over the pages of Scripture, even in our passage. But we have to be careful, therefore, and read the signs of the time. We must be careful how we envision success in our prayers. What does it look like for the Lord to hear you and to rise against injustice? Let me ask you a couple questions just as a point of departure. What would it look like if God hears your plea and takes action against the rulers of this earth? Will the church have all political power? Is that what it would look like? Will we conquer and be in charge? Will we have our foot on the neck of our enemy in this era? You know, I think sometimes throughout the history of the church, that's the way it has in fact looked. Mostly as a great relief from the severe suffering that was on the church for so long. And we know that when Christ returns, surely. But what about right now? And what about the time into which we are heading? And this is where our passage further helps us to see the answer that happened for this group of people in Acts. Take a look at 429, so that we don't have any misconceptions of what it would look like for God to rise and to hear our prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What we learn here is that ordinarily the church will not in fact be given all normal or earthly kinds of power on earth. They will not be in an earthly conquering position with all comfort and strength, but rather they will instead have boldness in the face of other powers, even to the point of their own death, and it will still be victorious. It will be through your deaths and the carrying of your cross that the kingdom of Christ will advance. It will not look like you setting up a political regime. Let me ask you, did God answer the prayer of these people in this passage? And has he answered it through each generation? The answer, of course, is yes. But let me just ask you, was not Peter the main preacher in this passage? Was he not martyred? Consider these words from Jesus as he prepared Peter for the ministry. When you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This Jesus spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. You will be in a position where you will give up your life that your enemy may be reconciled to God. Or consider the Apostle Paul 
Was not the prayer in Acts answered by God? Did not God rise up in his throne and decree and so execute that through his servant Paul the prayer would be answered? And now listen to Paul. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three, it's 40 minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Does that sound like victory in your American ears? Because if you know the whole story, it should. It is the perfect picture of the advance of the kingdom of God through Christ and his servants as they look like him even in his crucifixion. We will continue and be honored to extend the sufferings of Christ himself. At the end of days, be assured, when the Lord returns on that day, all enemies will be subdued completely. That is the great and the ultimate hope of all of our pleas to God's throne. It is what will allow you to persevere when you are bleeding and in pain. But in the meantime, God hears our pleas. He does. He has heard each one of your prayers. He hears your pain as you murmur in your reclining chair while watching the news. He is aware of it. He hears the cry of Christian business owners. He hears those who are stripped from their families, taken from their homes, daughters taken from them, and perverse acts performed. He hears it all. And when he rises, you know what he does in this era amongst the church is he gives us boldness and courage to advance in his kingdom by continuing to be the church in our churchly existence and proclaiming peace with God through Jesus Christ. Even in our suffering. The picture of the church is this. It is Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the picture of the church is this. It is the resurrection of Christ. The one who still showed his pierced hands to his disciples. Brothers and sisters, when you are seeking God's kingdom work and begging him to act in your troubles, you are begging him to take the obstacles and the pain away, I'm here to tell you that you have moved into an era where he will not always take the pain away. God will not always take away the suffering. That is the harsh reality of our lives. And I would ask that instead of turning to all kinds of medication or to booze or whatever it is, that we would encourage each other to turn to fellowship and to worship and to prayer non-stop prayer that we would be able to persevere for Christ's sake 
and for the sake of our enemy being reconciled to God. When we pray and we lift up our pain to Christ, you may be surprised that this is in fact his answer from 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect when you are weak. That is tough. We love that verse for our refrigerators. But oh, can we live it? Of course we can because Christ preserves us he will hold us fast. I was singing that song with you and I kept thinking, how many times will this song repeat that line? It just kept going over and over again. I thought, well, it's most appropriate because it's the, the thing I continually forget. The thing that keeps dropping out of my heart and my mind is that I can trust Him. That He'll carry me through. That over and over again, it will be like a kind of denial like Peter, and then a restoration in different ways. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's going to be tough for us to learn. But it's here. Seven run. How is your prayer life? Do you pray like this? Do you pray with steadfast devotion? Are your prayers formed by scriptures like the Psalms or like this Acts passage that anticipates harsh realities in life? Do you appeal and plead to God's higher courts while at the same time and in the other hand, embracing the suffering that comes along with this era. When you do cry out to heaven, do you ask for no suffering and pain and terror and fear now? Those can be good prayers, but those are prayers of hope for a future. We must at this point take the example of the early church and while keeping that hope in mind, and like Brad said, not becoming sadists, we must pray for boldness, so that when God does decide to rise, and to execute His decree, to bring His will on earth as it is in heaven, that you will in fact have the courage to carry out that will, even if it means your very life. That is our calling. Count the cost. May we take our Lord seriously when He says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I think this should be something like your prayer. Lord, we know that your kingdom comes through much tribulation. May I serve you not only in comfort and strength, but in suffering and in weakness. Oh my God, give me boldness. Amen.
Let's pray again. Let's pray again.